As I mentioned, our topic tonight is friendship, something that we all know is important, something we all value, and something that even the world knows is important and values and even treasures. And that's why many people throughout time have taken a stab at trying to understand what friendship is, trying to define it, encapsulate it into a sentence. What is friendship? This is what some people have said. A friend is someone who sees through you and still enjoys the view. A friend is someone who gives you total freedom to be yourself. Friendship is so weird. You just pick a human you've met and you're like, yep, I like this one. And you just do stuff with them. <laughs> a friend is someone who can make you laugh during those moments when you feel like you can't even smile. A friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. A friend is someone who will always pick you up when you fall down after they finish laughing. <laughs> Friendship is knowing something is wrong because they didn't tag you in a meme all day. Friendship is someone who has a picture of you that could ruin your reputation and your future. A best friend has a whole album. A friend is someone who will tell you it's Laurel, even though they hear Yanny. <laughs> a best friend is someone who will tell you it's definitely Yanny and there's something wrong with you. A friend is someone who helps you get up when you're down, and if they can't, they lay beside you and listen. So, that's what others have said friendship is. And there's a nugget of truth in all of those, but tonight we're going to hear God speak and we're going to hear what God says about friendship. Specifically, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs to see four qualities of a good friend. The Bible and even the book of Proverbs certainly gives more, but we're just going to focus on these four for today. We can think through these four qualities on two different levels. Choosing friends and choosing what kind of friend to be. So first of all, these four qualities, the Bible says, are to look for when you're picking your friends. I wonder if that concept is even familiar to you. Do you pick your friends? Are you intentional at all when it comes to choosing your friends? Or do you just end up being friends with the people that are around you? Do you just end up being friends with the people who you take a lot of classes with? Or are you intentional, proactive? Do you take initiative to choose what kind of people influence you? Because you know how important that is. They're going to influence how you think, your actions, what decisions you make. And if you want to see who you're going to be in the next five years, then you really just have to take a look at who your friends are. And secondly, these four qualities are what you should strive for in order to be a good friend. So turn the tables on you guys now. Are you a good friend? Maybe a better question is, 
Are you best friend material? And what can you do today in order to be a better friend than you were yesterday? So let's take a look at the scriptures for the answers to these questions and more. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight, and you can follow along in, the, in your Bibles if you would like, but the verses are also going to be projected onto the screen. So we're going to move rather quickly. The first quality of a good friend is constancy, which means faithfulness, loyalty, reliability. That's constancy. If you don't have this, you're not a good friend. Proverbs 18 24. You know, you learn very quickly in this life, even in elementary school, that there are faithful friends and there are fickle friends. There are faithful friends and there are fair weather friends. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice that there's two different words you to use to describe friends here. Many companions, plural, a friend, singular. The Hebrew word for companions refers to acquaintances, associates, people that you aren't necessarily close with. You know them, they're there, they're with you, they provide companionship, but you couldn't really call them a friend. Verse 24 says, that having many of these acquaintances can cause you to come to ruin, literally break you, shatter you to pieces. Why? Well, because these relationships are so shallow. You kind of know them and they kind of know you, but you don't really know their hearts and they don't really know your heart. And so there's not this loyalty, this connection, this constancy. And so when you get in trouble, When bad things happen, when you're in pain and it's no longer fun to be around you, guess what? All these acquaintances, they're going to get out of there. And you're going to find that you're all alone to face that big trial on your own. And that's why having many companions, acquaintances, can cause one to come to ruin. What you really want and what you really need is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I think at times we still have this juvenile and immature drive and desire for having lots and lots of friends. Call it juvenile because it starts when you're really, really young. Elementary school carries on to junior high, then high school, and that's probably where it should end. But sometimes it carries over into college and even into adulthood where it's all about having a big number of friends because you love to be popular. And high school, that popularity contest that you tried to win carries over after high school. And there's something nice about having a lot of friends, right? It validates you. It strokes the ego to know that there's a lot of people that like me. But... If that's you, if you're only investing in relationships to get people to like you and trying to accumulate as many friends as you can, the Proverbs warns you that that can cause you to come to ruin. What you really want 
And what you really need is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let's look at that phrase. Don't miss this. Proverbs compares a friend to a brother, to family. Family is permanent. Family is the ultimate illustration of constancy. Your family relationships never change. Your brother is always your brother. You can move hundreds of miles away to attend UCLA, and he is still your brother. You can do something to greatly offend him, and he is still your brother. He can do something to you that greatly offends you, and he is still your brother. He can go to jail, and he is still your brother. Family is permanent. But notice that friends and brothers are actually contrasted here. A brother sticks close, but there's a kind of friend that sticks even closer than a brother. One thing you have to understand is that the culture in the ancient Near East, when this was written, was far more family-oriented than it is today. They, th- their whole lives revolved around their families. Remember, they didn't have cars. Uh, they didn't have planes. A camel wasn't quite as fast as a car. And so people stuck with their families. Even after getting married, uh, they stuck close to their families. They weren't nearly as mobile of a society. People were close to their siblings. And so this is quite a statement that's being made here. There's a friend that's even better than a brother. There is a friend that sticks even closer than a brother. How is that possible? Well, you can flip back a chapter to get the answer. Proverbs 17, 17 A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. How can a friend stick closer than a brother? If he loves you at all times. You see, there are some friends who will love you sometimes. During some seasons, and those friends are a dime a dozen. Uh, they're, they're not hard to find. But what's rare and what's a treasure is a friend that loves at all times. In this verse, the, in the Hebrew, the phrase at all times is pulled forward at the very beginning for emphasis. Uh, the author makes the very first words in this verse uh, at all times to throw the spotlight on it, to put it in front of your face, to wow you with it, to highlight it at all times. A friend loves. Now, a friend that loves at all times is a friend that loves at all kinds of times. He's going to love you when you're weak and when you're strong, when you're holy and when you're sinning, when you're thriving and when your world is falling apart. That friend is going to walk with you through deep pain and sorrow in life. He's going to be there when things get hard and Stick with you when things get harder. Notice again, friends and brothers are juxtaposed, but again, friends and brothers are contrasted. Proverbs 18.24, a brother sticks close, but a friend sticks closer. Here, 17.17, it says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. A brother shows up during those difficult times. During the trials, he comes to bail you out and you do the same for him. So how's the friend better than a brother? A friend is 
always there in the good times and bad, but a brother can disappear sometimes and then come back to help you when times are tough and you do the same for him. A friend is always with you, but a brother functions more as a safety net. A friend is with you in the dark times and loves you at all times, including through the dark times. Your brother is there for you during the dark times, but he may not love you during the dark times and may not even like you very much, and he's just bailing you out to do his family duty towards you. But a friend loves at all times. And certainly a sibling can be that loyal friend who loves at all times for you, uh, but that's not always the case. In fact, that's pretty rare. So be this kind of friend and look for these kinds of friends, friends marked by constancy. And secondly, be a friend and look for friends marked by care. The second quality of a good friend is care. And we can just stick with Proverbs 17, 17 for this one. This second point is closely related to the first. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Notice the active voice in this verse. It's not a friend who's there at all times. It's a friend who loves at all times. He's active. He's proactive. He takes initiative to love. It's not, let me know if you need something. It's not, text me if I can help you. No, that's not a good friend. A good friend says, I'm here. On my own initiative. I love you. I'm always going to love you. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to serving you. I'm committed to your good, I'm committed to your benefit, I'm committing to care for you no matter what, even at personal cost to myself. That's a friend that loves at all times. That's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 3, 3 to 4, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and manned. Now we're going to look at a verse here to, to go beyond what we've seen already. Uh, going beyond sticking close. Going beyond loving at all times. Going beyond care. We're going to look at love on a whole nother level. And that is loving and caring at the heart level. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. The word for song means a song of joy, delight, merriment. Now, the picture is that you have a friend who is sad and you're so insensitive to how sad they are and so unsympathetic that you just are around them singing a happy song. And this brings pain to their heart. Uh, like it's a freezing cold night. You guys know it's very cold outside. And what if your friend was out there and you just rip off their jacket and say, there, you feel better now? That's what it's like to act all cheery and bubbly around someone who's down and sad. And it's kind of like mixing vinegar with 
soda. You ever mix vinegar with baking soda? Bad things happen. You use it as a primitive rocket when you were a kid. You mix it and you get a crazy violent reaction. That's the kind of reaction that you stir in their heart when they're so down and yet you're happy around them. You see, that's not a sympathetic friend. Well, the point here is that as a friend, you should know them so well. You should know their heart so well that you can be sensitive to know that now's not the time for happy songs. Now's the time to sit together and be sad together. Now's the time to, to listen to them so that you can shoulder the burden for them. Now's the time to be quiet and simply let them cry on your shoulder. Now's the time to weep with those who weep and stick through, through it with them until it's time to rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, there's this emotional care, this emotional sensitivity and connection at the heart level. You see, if you're sad and I can be happy around you, I'm not your friend. I'm your friend if your sadness makes me sad. When I can't sing a happy song when you're hurt because your hurt is my heart hurt. And when I care for you at this heart level, a friend loves at all times and during hard times, a friend cares at the deepest level. So a good friend is marked by constancy and care, even care at the deepest level. The third quality of a good friend is counsel. The book of Proverbs is all about counsel, listening to counsel. Solomon writes these Proverbs and accumulates other Proverbs that he's heard for his son, Rehoboam, and tells his son, listen to this counsel. Incline your ear to this counsel. So you can summarize the book of Proverbs this way. Get wisdom by listening to wise counsel from wise people. Hang around the wise people to get the wise counsel so that you too can be wise. And a good friend is going to give you this wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I think we all get this. We've all done stupid things and made stupid decisions before and afterwards thought, yeah, I probably should have ran that by someone. Uh, because getting a different perspective, getting counsel from others is a guardrail to help you from going off the cliff. But there's something special about not just counsel in general, but counsel from a friend, a friend who really loves you. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. I really want to focus on the second part of that verse. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. The sweet part of a friend, the real joy, the real delight is their counsel. Uh, the, the writer here is comparing the counsel to sweet foods, dessert, right? The best part is the counsel of a friend. And notice this just isn't just any counsel, but earnest counsel, eager counsel, passionate counsel, not disinterested counsel. 
A friend gives earnest counsel because he's invested in your life. Uh, It's not counsel that's given reluctantly. Hey, man, what should I do? I don't know. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you happy. Because a good friend does care. And this good counsel is not forced. No, seriously, man, tell me what I should do. I really need some counsel here. Just do whatever you want. Go ahead. Just ask her out. I don't care. Uh, That's the kind of counsel that's disinterested, uh, not earnest, not passionate. Uh, This kind of counsel here that this proverb is talking about is engaging counsel. It's engaging in the conversation, asking a bunch of questions, looking at the situation from all different angles, searching the scriptures for the best possible counsel because I'm invested in you, because I love you, because I am committed to your good and your benefits. I'm going to find the very best counsel for you. A friend doesn't give you counsel just to get you off their back. A friend doesn't give you counsel just so that they seem smart. A friend doesn't give you counsel just because they want to seem very godly and that they know their Bible really well. A friend gives counsel because they are passionate about you, your good, your benefit, and your joy. And that's why they give their very best counsel. Well, the fourth quality of a good friend, according to the book of Proverbs, is correction. Now is getting serious. Now we're in territory where only the best of friends dare to tread. Now imagine your friend is going for a job interview. Completely dressed up. They look great. They look sharp. They look professional. Everything is perfectly in place. And they go up to you and say, how do I look? They flash you a big smile and they have a huge, disgusting piece of spinach stuck right between their two front teeth. They just had a vegetarian pizza and so it is stuck right there. So here are your options at this point. Option A, tell them and allow them to to fix what's wrong. Option B, don't tell them, hope for the best, and send them off to the job interview. What is the correct answer? Because there is a correct answer on this one. You want to tell them because you want to help them uh, in their job interview. You want their success, and so you let them know what's wrong with them. And, And even though it will cause them a slight and momentary embarrassment, and even slight and momentary embarrassment for you, you tell them anyways because this is what helps them the most. And it's the same thing with any one of us. If there are some flaws in our character, in our life, that we don't see, blind spots, we would hope that our friends would tell us so that we can correct it and be better people and better Christians. That's what friends are for. A friend who loves at all times also tells the truth at all times. Proverbs 27, 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses 
of an enemy. Verse 5, open rebuke, opening your mouth to correct someone and laying it all on the table before them is good because that's how they grow, because that's how they're helped. Hidden love, on the other hand, doesn't do anybody any good. You see something wrong with them, but you sweep it under the rug, hide it, protect it, say, you're good. No, you're perfect. You're fine. That doesn't help them. And then in verse 6, we have some deliberate paradox, faithful wounds and enemy kisses. Faithful wounds, wounds that are painful, yet you must hear them. You see, wounds normally come from enemies because they want to destroy you, because they want to see your downfall. But wounds from a friend are meant to help you. They still hurt you, but they're meant to help you. You see, the the same blade can be used by an enemy to stab you as that blade can be used by a surgeon to skillfully and precisely remove a tumor that is harmful to you. When a friend wounds you with his words, that's a part of being a faithful friend. His constancy and loyalty and dedication to your good and your flourishing. Kisses, on the other hand, are normally from a friend and are to encourage you, but from an enemy, kisses are meant to hurt you because they're hypocritical. In fact, kisses from an enemy are even worse than wounds. At least with wounds, you know it's coming, it's straightforward. But kisses from an enemy are meant to trick you into thinking that they're going to help you, meant to trick you into thinking that they're your friend, but in fact, they're your enemy and they want your downfall. We think back to the Garden of Gethsemane and the betrayer, Judas, kisses Jesus, signifying that I'm a friend, Jesus, but in fact, he means to betray him in this treacherous act, sending him to the cross. Verse 6 says, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, plentiful, abundant are the kisses of an enemy. The more kisses an enemy gives you, the worse you're, you're off because the more kisses cover up the truth that he's really out to get you. Notice the parallelism in this couplet, uh, these, these two parallel lines, verses 5 to 6. Open rebuke is like faithful wounds. Hidden love is like kisses from an enemy. So when you hide the truth, you're acting more like an enemy because you're withholding valuable information that will actually help them and you're doing what's actually detrimental to them, you're acting like an enemy. See, there's plenty of people in this world, plenty of people, who will tell you what you want to hear. But there are very few people in this world who will tell you what you need to hear. And I hope that you're striving to be a friend that tells your friends what they need to hear. Some people will say, well, I don't tell them because I love them too much. No, you don't tell them because you love yourself too much. You don't tell them because you're not willing to put yourself through that, through the awkwardness, through the embarrassment. Uh, you're not willing to risk rupturing this relationship that they, they may not like you as much, but a real friend loves by saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to say it. And things might get awkward. 
This might be embarrassing for you, and it might be embarrassing for me. You might get mad at me. You might cry. I might cry. The relationship may never be the same, but I'm going to say it because I love you and because you need to hear this. That's a good friend. That's the kind of friend to be and the kind of friend to get. The kind of friend that tells you what you need to do to honor the Lord, even if it hurts to hear it. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. You know what you're doing if you're the type of friend that only tells them what they want to hear? You're setting a bear trap five feet in front of them that they're about to walk into because you had the chance to help them make a better decision. You had a chance to help them be a better person. But they're going to be less than what they could be, and they're going to make a bad decision based off of what you, their so-called friend, told them to do, or better, maybe what you didn't tell them to do. They trusted you. They leaned on you. They asked if they had anything stuck between their teeth, and you said, no, you look great, and you sent them off to the job interview. And so you set them up for disaster. Chapter 28, verse 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. I like this one. This is liberating and this is encouraging for me because I hate confronting people. What this verse is saying is that if you do the rebuke right, if you do it with patience, gentleness, and love, and if they receive it right, with patience, gentleness, and love, the end result is that you will have more favor with them. In other words, they're going to like you more. You're going to end up being better friends. Your relationship's actually going to be stronger. Why? Because now they know that you have their back, that you were willing to stick your neck out there and risk embarrassment and risk awkwardness and risk the relationship and risk them hating you just to help them. And so they know now you're, you're that friend, that rare jewel of a friend who tells me what I need to hear. Now, this may not happen right away. Notice the word afterward. This implies that the first response may not be very pleasant, but in time, they really will value your honesty. And so here's the, the irony of it all. The reason you chose the path of hidden love, the reason you didn't want to tell them what was wrong with them was because you wanted a good relationship with them. You wanted a strong friendship. But in reality, if you would have told them, they would have liked you even more. And that friendship would have become even stronger. Charles Spurgeon got this right when he said, true friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly of your faults. Give me for a friend the man who will speak honestly of me before my face, who will not tell first one neighbor and then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, sir, I feel there is such and such a thing in you, which as my brother, I must tell you of. That man is a true friend. He has proved himself to be so. 
constancy, care, counsel, and correction. That's a good friend. I wanted to start this retreat by addressing this subject of friendship because I think it's so foundational to all of our relationships. So we're, we're going to cover relationships in discipleship, relationships with, in dating, and relationships with your parents. But think about this. What if you applied the four principles we learned about tonight to those relationships? What if you were just a good friend in all your relationships? What if you're simply a good and loyal friend to your discipler and the people that you disciple? Don't overcomplicate dating. Just be constant and loyal. Be caring and focused on their good. Give good, God-centered counsel and correct and point out blind spots with love and patience and you'll be fine in dating. What about your parents that you may not have the best relationship with? What would happen if you were just a good friend to your parents? If you just apply these four principles to your parents? making sure with the correction one to be super gentle and super patient with them. Now, after looking at what the Bible says about friendship, I I think that you're probably feeling one of two things, or maybe both. First, you may have a feeling of longing. You long for these kinds of friends. Uh, You wish you had these kinds of friends because friends come and go, right? Friends get super busy with school and you barely see them anymore and it's hard to even get a meetup with them. Friends become juniors and have to start getting serious about life after college so they got to do that internship and that job and it's really hard to even find where they're at. Friends become seniors and graduate, find jobs, and go to grad school in other areas. They go to a different church. And so we're, we're constantly losing our friends. Our friends are taken away from us before we feel like we have the chance to cultivate a deep relationship with them. Even the friends who, who stay here, we want more time with them. We want to go deeper with them so that we can can have this friendship where we stick closer than even a brother. So you might have a feeling of longing for friends like this. Uh, The second feeling that you might have is a feeling of guilt. Uh, Perhaps these proverbs have been crushing for you uh, because you know that you are not this kind of friend. And you know that ultimately the reason you don't have friends like this is not because we're such a mobile society, not because college is short, not because UCLA is academically demanding, not because we have a shortage of time, not because we have smartphones, evil smartphones that isolate us. Ultimately, the reason you don't have friends like this is because of the person staring at you in the mirror. You don't have friends like this because you're not this kind of friend. But you want this, and so you long to be this to others uh, so that you can have the kind of friendship that Proverbs describe. And so what's the solution here? 
how can we learn to be this kind of friend so that we get these kinds of friends? We've got one more word for you, tricked you, actually five C words, a bonus one for you, and the most important one of them all, the one that wraps it all together, encapsulates all the other four, and that is Christ-likeness. You want to learn to be a good friend? Look to Jesus, who called us friends. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Here is the ultimate example. Here is the ultimate friend. You want to be a constant friend? Look to Jesus, who said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who loves us even when we're so unlovable. You want to be a caring friend? Look at Jesus, who looked upon the crowds with compassion, who was the good shepherd, who ate with sinners and tax collectors, who was emotionally connected to his people and continues to be, who is a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses and in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 15. Want to be a good friend with good counsel? Look to Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2, 3. Want a correcting friend? Look at Jesus who once looked at his friend who was out of line and called him Satan and said, get behind me. And then just hours later, died for him. And after rising again, took initiative to go up to him and forgive him, love him, and restore him to gospel ministry. Jesus is the ultimate friend. All friends have a breaking point where they will abandon you. Jesus has no such breaking point. If you mess up with other friends, they may leave you, but Jesus will not leave you. He will forgive you. You see, Jesus cries out to us tonight, I am this friend who loves at all times. I am this friend who sticks closer than a brother. I am this friend who will stick with you even when it costs me something. And he proved that in a big way. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus paid the ultimate cost. There's no greater friend than Jesus but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ saved us by this radical act of friendship. He loved the disciples, ate with them, taught them, washed their feet, and he died for them. He corrected them. He rebuked them when they fell asleep in the garden. He called Peter Satan, but he also died for them for their eternal good. And so Christ is the example to follow. And let's leave here tonight and have this amazing, mind-blowing thought 
on the forefronts of our hearts this whole weekend that Jesus laid his life down for his friends, that Jesus is this ultimate friend. Because friends may abandon us, and you might try to put these four principles into practice, and for whatever reason, it's just not working. Put yourself out there, and you just aren't making any friends. The friends you do have, you're just not getting close with them. And maybe in your sin, you do something that causes your friends to run away from you and not return. Or even if that happens, though all will abandon you, Jesus will not. And so no matter what, we have one friend. And the true friend, that's all we need, Jesus Christ. As we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus.